0: Hello, and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today, we've seen Nosferatu. Yes. From 1922, F.W. Murnau's original. There have been remakes. You were telling me about the... um...
1: I went to see the uh, Werner Herzog version with Klaus Kinski and Isabella Gianni. In the
0: late 70s.
1: In 1979 when it came out and I was telling you that it's it's one of my great kind of cinephile memories because it was an afternoon screening at Place du Canada uh, cinema in Montreal and there were just myself and a large lady with her shopping who was drinking a huge plastic bottle of Pepsi and as soon as Klaus Kinski appeared ...with his deathly pale makeup... ...yeah, it was all chalky... Mm. ...and uh, did the thing with his fangs... ...like, she just burst out laughing... ...and she would go... Ah. <laughs> 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 ...and that was the film ruined... ...because every time he'd appear... ...she'd continue, yeah, right? Uh, so, and, and, and actually it makes you... ...it makes you aware of how important... ...those moments of your know, transition... ...but of extremity are to get right... ...because, you know... If if one person does that and affects the audience, then the film is lost in a way. It becomes something else. It mm. becomes like a comedy, or a fa- yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas you know, if you see it in another context, it's a very haunting and
0: powerful film. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, there you go. There were a few laughs amongst the audience today, but I think they were laughs of kind of recognition. You know, we all knew what we were watching. Yeah. because so, this is a film that was was an early uh, kind of unofficial Dracula adaptation. And um, they were sued over it, mm. and the company declared bankruptcy soon after the film was made. Bram Stoker's Bram Stoker wrote Dracula. Bram Stoker's widow Florence sued the filmmakers for copyright infringement and won. And the film was um, ordered to be destroyed, but there have been surviving copies. That's how we know it today. And it's this classic of German expressionism. Um, and because it's kind of such a classic story, in this film it's a film that established. So many tropes, kind of both storytelling wise and, and visually. Um, there are things that you just recognise implicitly, even if you haven't seen the film before, mm. which I hadn't, for instance. So I was familiar with the general story and certain shots and the look of Nosferatu, but I'd never seen it from beginning to end. Um, and there are points in this film where, you know, uh, the character who works for the estate agent, Hutter, goes to Count Orlok, who is the Count Dracula uh, analogue. To sell him this house, and he wakes up in the morning and notices two spots of blood, two bite marks on his neck, and he thinks they were mosquito bites. He writes this in a letter to his wife, and laughs go around the audience a ripple of laughter because we know, obviously, you know, it doesn't play as scary, right, Mm. the way it might have. Um, It plays as we know what's coming, you Mm. know, we're kind of a little bit smarter than the film, maybe we think. It was interesting to see, so we saw it at the Coffin Works. Um, which is in Birmingham, and it, it's an old factory. It was working up until 1998, mm. the Coffin Works, and it made coffin furniture. So that's things like the brass plates, crucifixes, handles, all the metal work that goes on coffins. And it's a, it was a really kind of well-regarded, high-quality business. It mm. did. It, I, I went and did the tour with Matt a few years ago because it's since been kept around, and there was an effort to restore it and turn it into a museum. Uh, so we went to see the tour, and they were t- talking about how uh, state funerals, Winston Churchill, Princess Diana—you know all of these kind of royal and state funerals—and their work had been involved in you know it. What? And they're hosting this this outdoor screening, which you 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 forgot was outdoor. Well, you didn't even read it was outdoor, and I didn't pay attention because I I never yes. do. So I just went in a T-shirt, and that was not the brightest idea.
1: No, I mean I just didn't register that it was outdoors. I thought it was going to be in a museum, or yeah, yeah. Um, so.
0: My actual nuts froze off. Yes. And so did my arse. Yes. Um, it wasn't the smartest idea. To, and, and, and it wasn't an amazing screening, right? It was a DVD, as you might expect. It's not a professional... You know, the, the, it's for Halloween, and they're just trying to get people in. So it's on a small screen, of playing a DVD. But it did have a live accompaniment, It was, I, which
1: I liked. Yes, it was a lovely event, actually. You know, and uh, if any of the people involved are listening, I'd like to congratulate them, really, because... Mm. You know, it had a wonderful community feel, and they had gone all out in the decoration, you know, and they had organized, like, the door and the toilets and all those things really, you know, very well. You know, the decor was fantastic. Like, people put a lot of love, I think, actually, in -hmm. in producing this event. Um, That said, I do think that one goes into these events... um, (laughs) <laughs> expecting a diminished sense of cinema, right? So, you know, it, it's a lovely event, it's a community event, I want to support it, right? Kind of the draw is the film and the musical accompaniment, but really, in a way, the draw is needs to be the event itself and that sense of occasion yeah. that it produces. Because I really felt a loss of the film did not have, or did not convey the power that it has. No. You know, because you're watching it in this tiny screen. I mean, it was, you know, it was, it was small. It's like one of those f- screens that you used to use in classrooms to show slides, right? It's like a square, mm. not very large, maybe a meter, yeah, a uh, square meter or something. So, you know, and the, I think the power of Nosferatu, for me, is, you know, those images, which I think are really, truly extraordinary. And then the way that they affect you almost physically, if you see it on a large screen, if you're enveloped in that image, mm. right, if you're enveloped in Max Schrank's shadow or in the shadow of Nosferatu, or... Yeah, those are kind of, I think, very powerful, haunting images that really operate on you, you know. So So that's missing here, because actually you are larger than the screen, <laughs> you know. <laughs> So, uh... Up to
0: a point, I mean, when those shots show up, they are still spectacular and magical. And there are these kind of... There are five or six real key mm-hmm. shots that you've seen before and that the images have stayed with you of him rising up out of the coffin, of his shadow going over the door, of the long fingers grabbing uh, the girl by the breast, you yeah, know, mm-hmm. the shadow. Um those, those still work. And they okay, did tonight, good. I think.
1: Um... I think I've seen the film quite a few times, and so I always, I suppose, measure, you know, the most recent experience against the others, and I kind of, I, I did feel it was a diminished uh, um, effect. So, I mean, the thing is, it's a film. It's a little bit like, you know, some of the classic, the classic, classic films, Casablanca. You know, often people feel that they've seen it because they recognize shots that they've seen on television or. Images that they've seen on advertising, or mm. you know, scenes that they've seen in compilations, right? So it's almost like one of those films that you feel you've seen, even if you haven't seen it. And I think you know, some of these images have been famous for a hundred years. So yeah, people are familiar with them. Yeah, yeah, even if uh, even if they haven't seen the film. It's a hundred years old next year. It's a hundred years old, and I think it's worth talking about that. Yeah, mm. because you know what was happening in nineteen eighteen influenza <laughs> mm. yeah so the Spanish flu was going around and people were dying and it's a little bit like now so actually some of the some of the
0: the film's themes yeah. well the film uses the black death as a backdrop that's right although it does sort of say that Nosferatu is responsible for it and once he dies at the end so does the black Plague. yeah and you don't I think you probably don't quite feel the the intensity of the Kind of societal ruin that the Black Death brought. You no. know that's not really conveyed. No, the but
1: and I'm not. I mean, obviously, you know, the film is not a document of Spanish French, But no. I'm just saying, you know, that like the Spanish flu happened a year before the film was made, mm. right? So you know, those questions of death, of sudden death, of ghostliness, of you know, they're obviously in the air. And so you know, what does what does Nosferatu bring from Middle Europe? <laughs> yeah, death. Right. Yeah. So, um, so I th- you know, that's kind of like an interesting
0: thing to, to think about, really. And it's interesting, uh, so the guy who uh, provided the accompaniment also provided a short introduction to the film. And one of the things that he said that I thought was interesting was that in comparison to Bram Stoker's Dracula, which has a real erotic kind of uh, edge to it, what Nosferatu has is it, almost none of that. And I, I disagree. He, he brings... A terror, you know, the terror of evil, he brings death with him. He doesn't create vampires as Dracula does, he kills people, his victims die.
1: Yes, but I think uh, the whole film has always been seen as very sexually potent. I mean, it's also about the dangers of sexuality, right? I remember like uh, two of the key pieces that I read. Which actually, I think, I must have been so dumb because there are, you know, or maybe the pieces are so good. Anyway, they're so logical. You know, the first was about you know the omnisexuality of vampires, or at least the bisexuality of vampires.
0: Mm. Right?
1: You know, I remember this piece by Richard Dyer where he compared it to, uh, oh my God, I forget that New Orleans writer who also wrote about vampires and Lestat, and so on.
0: Oh, and.
1: Yeah, um, she vampire. she did the Vampire, uh, Lestat series, you know, and of course those those books which you know I loved were also like really uh, uh, sexually charged and it's all about sex and penetration and and rice and rice. And rice. Um, so so you get that here, right? You know, the first person that. Nasratu has sexual intercourse with <laughs> is uh, Huttert, yeah, mm-hmm. the, the, the man, right? And actually, you know, so I suppose sex, if it's only seen as romantic and love and so on, you know, then maybe you could argue that, you know, the film is not sexual in the same way, you know, that having a sexy Christopher Lee is or whatever. But actually there's something also about kind of, you know, Sex as brutal and scary, and (laughs) yeah, and and Mm. how that is itself. There's a madness,
0: I think, associated Mm. with the kind of vampirism here. I think you know when he sees uh, Hutter cuts his finger early on, Mm. and he sees the blood, and he can't keep himself from leaping at it, Mm. and that's like that. That doesn't come across as. so it comes across as to say he can't control about himself.
1: Yes, but that's yeah. sexual.
0: It can be, but it's also it's like a madness. It's like a, there's a tone to it that is, it's like a mania.
1: Well, you know, I think it's also 1922, so a lot of that is sublimated, right? Like you know, it's there and it's there to be bred, but obviously, you know, you're penetrating through a bite on the neck, not through you know fucking. Um, mm. I mean, the bite is the fuck. But, yeah, those things kind of, you know, stand in for each other. um, Or certainly they can be read that way. So I think the film is very sexually charged. But it's sexually charged like, you know, like dark fantasies, like a sexual dream, but that goes all wrong. (laughs) Yeah, that is kind Mm -hmm. of unexpected or traumatic or, yeah, that is both something that you desire and something that you fear. Uh, I think the film is very, can very much be read in that way. Uh, I mean, it has been read in that yeah. way. Yeah. Um, so is
0: um, is Count Orlok fanciable?
1: Well, let me tell you, there's certainly a lot of, you know, a period where you would bump into them in gay bars all over the place. <laughs> you know, those old skinheads.
0: <laughs> strangely long fingers. Aging skinheads. <laughs> Definitely. So, so He's um, got a bit of a right-said Fred
1: look to him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, so, you know, I think uh, um, I have many interests in this film that I never really did pursue. You know, so one of the, my interest was in Murnau himself as a figure, mm. right? Because when I came out, he was one of the first people, you know, they used to have this thing of finding a gay ancestor or something, right? And, you know, Alexander the Great and so on. And Murnau would be one, yeah, Murnau, Einstein, Eisenstein, you know, they would be people who would be recognized, right, as, mm. as being kind of pioneering kind of homosexual artists, right? Um, and you see this in this film, yeah, that kind of, you know, those scenes at the beginning with Huttet, yeah, the... Huttet is Hatter. the... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the way that he's photographed, right? So on the one hand, the camera's quite discreet when he takes his shirt off, yeah? But he's there, and he takes his shirt off, and, you know, and he's got those kind of lips, yeah. You know? It's it's kind of quite an erotic, you know, the, the, the husband is actually, I find eroticized in a way that the wife isn't, mm-hmm. yeah. So there is that kind of very interesting gay male gaze on, yeah, those things in in the film uh I think
0: I didn't know Murnau was gay. Oh yes. Mm. There you go. Yes. So things you learn on podcasts. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, very much so. Uh, you know, so and he was very interested in expressionism and you could see also kind of how he himself influenced surrealists by some of the imagery in this film. I mean, there is like a history of modernity, really, that is conveyed in what is a film that is now 100 years old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I read quickly, uh, and I wonder what you think, is that the film has also been accused by some of drawing on anti-Semitism.
0: Oh... Oh, that didn't occur to me, like in the in the depiction of Count Orlok. The they're basically people saying he's got a hook nose.
1: Yeah, I mean, but not only that though. I think the the argument that I remember is, you know, not only that physically, uh, you know, there is a kind of a, st- a you know stereotype, an anti-Semitic stereotype, um, but also you know the association. So, for example, later on, the Nazis would associate. You know, Jews with rats and dirt and vermin and disease. Mm. Yeah, and kind of um, how that is in the film. Now, the other argument is that, you know, certainly Mornau was not associated with any anti Semitic or, yeah, mm. any, uh, uh, stance or anything like that. Um, so it might just have been drawing on what was in the air. I feel
0: it. like if you want to see anti Semitism in the film, then you will then draw that connection to the rats. You know, yes. if you if you decide that it's there, then you go well. There's rats too, yes. but but if you don't, which I didn't, then it never then, occurred, then to, it, me, no, it occurred say, to me. Uh, it's the Black Death. There yeah. are rats around, right? Yeah. That's I, I that that
1: seems like a bit of a leap. Yes, I thought so too. I mean, because i I saw the Herzog version before I saw the Murnau version, and it just never occurred to me either way, really. Mm. But then also. You know, seeing the Dracula figure as you know omnisexual had never occurred to me either. So maybe I'm just think that way, right? Like, a, yeah. you know, because once somebody mentions it, you say, "Of course, da," right? But actually, it had not. Uh, no, sure.
0: But the thing uh, is, when when someone clues you in that there's a sexual dimension, so it's all sexual reading. Mm. You go, "Of course." It really is quite petty yeah. obvious. It's not the case with an anti-Semitic.
1: Yes. Reading. Um, I didn't think so either. It had just really never occurred to me. I mean, I could see how you could now, yeah, mm. make that connection, um, but you know, I,
0: uh, um, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't uh, think so. I don't <laughs> think so. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it would be interesting, maybe, to see how people like p- people at the time took it. You know, if if there's some evidence to say that or people saw this as some kind of coded message or something, well, maybe there's something in that. But I, I certainly don't see it yes
1: Um, actually another thing that occurs to me you know again um, just being older maybe more open than I was when I was younger (laughs) because you know one of the things that I always had trouble with was the expressionism in the film right Mm -hmm. because obviously you know there, there are kind of the shadows you know and um it does express kind of psychological Mm. fears. So in that sense, I always understood it, you know, but I think if you read the whole film, you know, like people read film noir in a way, yeah, where kind of often people just go into film noir and look for shadows. And really it's all about like, you know, Darker desires, criminality, outsiderness, yeah, kind Mm. of, you know, those obscure areas of society that nonetheless exist and, you know, that contradict everything that you're told society should be, yeah, the unconscious, yeah, you know, the uncontrollable, yeah, kind of, um, I think, you know, reading, yeah, it it made a lot more sense to me, like tonight in those ways, rather than if you're just ticking boxes of, you
0: know yes there's a kind of tonal it's tonally holistic the film and actually I really liked the sense because I didn't know the plot right I, um, so I didn't know this whole setup. Of if he goes off to the castle to try and sell him this house and then as he sells mm. the house um, Count Orlok comes to uh, I can't remember the name of the village but mm. um, wherever it is they live to, to take this house and you know that he's, you know, that Karen Warlock has decided to buy this house because he knows the house is opposite where this guy lives and he's seen a picture of the guy's wife mm. and he is attracted to the wife, yeah. wants the wife's neck. And you've seen what he can do, and, and I suppose kind of extra t- to the film, you just you, you bring some of that knowledge as well. And as this thing, you know, he puts all the coffins on the ship and he lies in one of them, like he's stowing himself away. And there is this feeling of encroaching pestilence. Yes. You know, this thing that is bearing down on this town mm. that has no knowledge of it, can't do anything about it. That's actually quite... That's really effective. Mm. Quite creepy, mm. actually. Yes. It's, it's not a film that, like, out-and-out out scares you, but it, it absolutely communicates. It haunts.
1: Actually, it's very interesting, because I, I, those scenes in the ship going to England... I still vividly remember the ones in uh, Herzog's film. Yeah? Yeah. Because I think he extends those, or he makes them more suspenseful. But they were really creepy and terrifying, you know, and they were in color. Yeah, like, so it was, it was quite dark, but then with the red, you know, that kind of... Mm. Uh, I mean, I could be wrong about all of that, but that is just... I haven't seen the film since then. Right. But it's it's something that's really stayed with me, at least as a, you know, even as a... As an erroneous memory, kind of, I have that vivid sense of, you know, that shipboard uh, scene of, you know, Nosferatu taking over the ship
0: uh, on, his, on his way That's forward. a whole creepy sequence in itself, a creepy couple of sequences, because of the feeling of being trapped there. Mm. It's inescapable, mm. you know, and then the first mate going down below deck and having no option. Like, you, like, in the moment, I sort of think, oh, why does he drop the axe? you know, attack him. Mm. <laughs> but, but of course, it actually, it, it's 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 about the fear, and it could have, sort of does make sense, and l- at least, like I say, tonally, overall, it makes sense that he would drop the axe in fear and mm. jump off the boat. Yes. <laughs> you know? I mean, I think it's, to me,
1: amazing that we're watching a film that's 100 years old, right, and, um, you know, that's it's still thrilling, yeah? Like, it is kind of... Um, I mean, you know, so obviously cinema is an art, and this is, I think, one of the great films that still somehow surprises me, you know, that you're seeing it at the Coffin Works with people who aren't necessarily cinephiles, or, you know, like, you got the sense that it was a general audience rather than, mm-hmm. you know, a special cinephile audience. And that these films kind of, you know, still live and circulate, and and people, are culture, with the images circulate and recirculate and recirculate so that they kind of become part of the culture i think it's kind of you know quite a a a testament to the power of cinema but also something that is past yeah so you know like the film is a modernist work yeah yeah and and you think well that modernism is now a hundred years old yeah Mm -hmm. So, uh, anyway, just a thought. Being old. Not me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> mm.
1: But our ways of talking about it might be old.
0: Hmm.
1: You know, so, um, I mean, I, I, don't know more to say than that, except I've been reading this fantastic book on, uh, metamodernism yeah mm-hmm. which is not about a cultural logic so I'm also now reading a book about you know metamodernism as an aesthetic or as the cultural logic of the time that we're living in just the way that postmodernism was 40 years ago right that we're now beyond that right mm-hmm. um, but this is more like a work of philosophy yeah about you know what is and how we know and yeah how we can demonstrate and so on Um so so yeah, maybe we also need a new way to talk about, kind of, well, you know, the works that we're seeing and how they s- circulate and mean and, you know, move, uh, and and move you, um, but also kind of, you know, maybe find another way, you know, to talk about these films that kind of uh, situate them both in their f- fullness or however much is possible. You know, their historical fullness, Mm. but also a different way to talk about them in relation to us now, to our culture now, Mm. which obviously is not the same. Can be reproduced, maybe. Yeah. Anyway, I'm very glad we saw it, even though I was shivering throughout the evening. In fear...
0: Your little cat. <laughs> and it's A full moon out, and there's but, werewolves. If I
1: hadn't had that coffin chocolate bar, which was absolutely delicious, I might have died of <laughs> <It's>
0: cold. <laughs> I'm amazed I didn't die. Uh, Frankly,
1: you hit it very well. You were very stoic with your little I, t-shirt. I, I, <laughs> because I just don't think, you know, I knew it would be cold, and I
0: just uh, I just rush out the house and don't take a jumper or a coat, and then you think, well, well my bed had got a lie in it, and then. because you're not quite aware of how far through the film you are and how long there is left, when Nosferatu sort of gets into a room, you're thinking, oh, I hope this is it. I hope there's not, like, this is the first skirmish and then they do it again later. (laughs) I do hope he dies now. (laughs) (laughs) Die already, I'm dying myself. (laughs) It was very, very cool. Unfortunately, he Uh, did. Anyway.
1: Anyway, in spite of it being freezing cold which was our own fault <laughs> for living in England I thought it was it was wonderful and I think if we had brought a blanket it would have been lovely
0: we could huddled up
1: with some mulled wine that's right mm. glad yeah. we didn't and Duh. been at the coffin works on Halloween looking at Nosferatu lovely
0: near Halloween yeah well near it near
1: anyway uh We highly recommend it. I mean, actually, you know, this is a film that if you get the Blu-ray, you'll have a much better viewing experience, probably in your living room, you know, than uh, uh, the conditions that we saw tonight, except for the audience. Um, So if you haven't seen it, do. It's really fantastic.
0: Yeah. Proper classic. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on Apple podcasts, Audible, Google podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.